Hello, welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. I'm Dr. Ishan, a licensed clinical psychologist, board certified behavioral sleep medicine specialist, and adjunct clinical faculty at Stanford School of Medicine. So recently, I went to a four-day meditation retreat. The funny thing is, I always fall asleep when we practiced breathing, meditation, or chakra balancing. Even though I sit there on the floor and it was very uncomfortable, I was not even sleepy, but I still fall asleep. Also, the instructor emphasized how important to be aware of our suffering state and to be with our consciousness mind, and to be with our conscious mind when we deal with our emotions. That's very similar to what I have talked about in my own psychotherapy sessions with clients. So I was fascinated by it, and today I'm gonna have a conversation on a related topic with our guest Kim Tong. She is a master yoga teacher and head coach of the International Yoga Sports Federation. She is passionate with empowering others in their own ability. To expand and transform their minds, their bodies, and their relationships with themselves, her wisdom has inspired a lot of people, and hopefully you will find it helpful as well. Let's welcome Kim. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast, Kim. Thank you. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. So, how about you introduce yourself to us first? Uh, thank you for that. Always, I begin with love and gratitude. And so, before I even tell you about myself, I'd like to thank you. I'd like to thank you for even having the realization and the insight that sleep could be related to spirit. So, when I received the inquiry, I was just delighted. My name is Kim Tang, and if I were to describe to you uh, who I am and how I serve. I would ask you to visualize what I'm going to call a Venn diagram. Do you know this image? So, for the listeners, it's two circles that are side by side, except they're so close together that there's an overlap between the two, where they both coincide. And on one side of the circle is a Y. And it stands for all things yoga. I'm an international senior、uh, yoga instructor, and I serve、uh, in many ways through a yoga platform with a video series, private sessions, in-person events, and I'm part of a global collaborative certification program called Yoga Sport World. On the right side, the right circle of the Venn diagram would be all things. Spirit, and I do a lot of spiritual intuitive counsel. I'm certified in quantum healing hypnosis technique. I facilitate alchemy meditation and alchemy of breath. And again, I do private sessions, in-person events, and、um, that's a an equally big platform. And most of the people are starting to understand that the two are one and the same: yoga and spirit. It turns out、uh, just one more thing that it delights me to tell you: the Y and the S in the side by side circles. We also have small private event center in the high desert of Southern California, and it's called 
Yakashala, another YS. Uh, this is an event center for the healing arts and spiritual sciences. And so most of our events take place here. Yeah, thank you. It's a lot to wrap your head around, but I think that today we're going to be able to really get into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I can see your background. It looks really nice. Ah, thank you. So I'm curious, before we dive into the sleep, which I think really important, and uh, you are the first guest really going to dive in the topic from this YS model, this angle. And But before that, I'm curious, your journey, what got you interested into yoga and spirituality? And in your own journey, what's the most important lessons you have learned? Thank you for that question. I think that this answer begins that I've always been on a spiritual path, even as a child. Uh, when I was 11 years old, I had a stepfather who was a metaphysical religious science, science of the mind minister. And as an 11-year-old, I studied two years of coursework of metaphysics. And, you know, as life would have it, it seemed that I got off the path. But, of course, there are no detours. I eventually found my way into running. I used to run marathons. And it turned out that pounding of the pavement was kind of my early meditation because it was kind of rhythmic breathing where I did my best kind of thought sorting, goal setting, life planning, gaining clarity through breath. And a friend kept telling me in that time that I needed to try this yoga class. It was a very specific class. It was the original hot, hard uh, 26 and 2 90 minute class. And um, I used to say kind of like, yeah, yeah, talk to the hand, I got to get my cardio. And I knew that supple muscles are far less prone to injury. And so I knew that stretch class in a hot room would be good for me. But when I got in there, I was in this moment in my life, and a pretty important story, and it probably is going to directly relate to sleep at some point. I was in this moment in my life where I was a young woman and I had just come through kind of my upbringing with a lot of adversity and I actually had like a lot of anger toward my mother and I kind of carried this with me as I was running. I was just trying to pound, you know, pound out the pavement and just kind of get it out, but I didn't know how. So one day, ironically, I was watching the Oprah Winfrey show and Oprah said, I like to joke and say, Oprah said, Kim, <laughs> forgiveness uh, is a gift you give yourself. And not even necessarily because the other person deserves it, but because you deserve to be free from the burden that you carry. And that just blew my mind. The right thought or the right words in the right moment are a manifestation. And these two, no coincidences, these two vectors coincided in the way of understanding that I was ready to forgive, understanding why I needed to forgive, and finding a yoga practice. And so I started taking this class, and I was a very hardworking student, and I call it very ambitious student. I kind of laugh about it now. I've kind of come all the way through full circle on that one. But I was ready to forgive, and I didn't know how. And I was in this posture that's about 
three quarters of the way into class. It's the deepest backbend that's done in that series. It's called camel pose or ustrasana. And so I had my head back with my heart open, my throat open, my solar plexus wide open. And I just started crying and I didn't know why. And I also knew that I didn't need a reason or I didn't need to know why. I recognized it as that pain being released and actually leaving my body. So I cried for a little bit. I was not being demonstrative. I was not feeling sorry for myself. I was finally releasing that pain. And I turned around, lie down on my back, or I finished the class. And when I left that class that day, I actually knew not only that I had forgiven, but I also knew how to know that I had forgiven, which is more interesting because my mother had passed away. How do you know when you have forgiven someone who has passed? And so the story really simply stated is that literally up until that day, that moment, that posture in that class, I was very attached to my narrative I was very attached to this story I used to tell. And I would really make everyone listen to my story. So I felt that, you know, if you don't know my story, you can't understand me and all of these things. So the first thing that happened in that moment is that I had a deeply profound realization. That story that I had been telling actually my entire life That story that I used to make everyone listen to wasn't even my own. That was my mother's story. And children are what I'm going to call developmentally narcissistic. It's a natural healthy state. And it means that they think that everything that is happening around them is happening to them. And it turns out that in that moment, I had the clarity that that happened to her and I took it as my own. And when I realized that that happened to her, the natural response is that I was absolutely filled with a type of compassion that I definitely had never felt before toward her. And then came the realization that I'm free to create, craft, write my own narrative, to be deliberate about the creation of my life that does not need to be shaped by hers. And so when I left the room that day with this profound realization and a very different perspective, I literally just never felt identified as the story that I had been telling the entire time. I no longer felt that you needed to know that to know me. In fact, if you knew that, you wouldn't know me and my story is mine to write. And from that moment on, it was just a game changer. And so I started reading everything. And I mean, everything I could get my hands on about not just the practice of yoga, but all eight limbs of yoga and not just asana, but spirit. And my path took me all the way through becoming then from student to teacher to studio owner. And I started participating in this event called the Yoga Asana Championships. And I don't even know what to say about that. I was in a period of creation where I ended up 
kind of like cracking a code on kind of like every posture in the history of all lineages and just kind of understanding some wisdom from within. I was able to do kind of the deepest and so-called hardest postures in the world. I became an athlete and a coach and a judge and a head judge. And I'm currently still the head coach of the International Yoga Sports Federation. And it sounds like an oxymoron to people who are not understanding the platform. They think, well, how can yoga and the word competition go together? In fact, it's the inner realm. It's between you and you. And I am going to tell you that that is directly what we're going to talk about today with respect to spirit and sleep. So perfect segue. Thank you for that. I went on into the realm of spirit. and That's what we'll talk about. Uh, yeah, Definitely. Yeah, your story is very empowering and uh, it's totally consistent with a lot of time what we talk about in psychology. When we treat clients and when they have certain struggles, they cannot let certain people, certain things go in their mind, right? Which been haunting them for years. A lot of time we also encourage them to rethink about forgiveness, rethink about this. It's not like it's okay for what other people did, but it's for yourself for how you can, you know, have an easier, happier life and recreate your own life from the scratch. Absolutely. I'm already taking notes on more things to add to the top. <laughs> great, great. Yes. So let's dive in sleep because interestingly for myself, I never shared this on the show before, but I'm very interested um, in reading and learning different things. Even though I'm trained in science and I do psychotherapy in my work, but in my free time, I'm curious about, you know, spirituality, about, for example, tarot cards, right? About chakra balancing, about energy. But that's something I don't know a lot. I just uh, watch some videos online and uh, I visit a psychic before. So I always find that amazing and interesting. It's something I don't know very well, but I know there are people out there who are really good at this. And I also know some people would count on these to help them sleep. I meet people more who practice yoga or meditation before bedtime. And the goal is to relax, right? Sometimes it works. Sometimes it does not work, especially for people with long-term insomnia. So I'm curious from your background with all your wisdom, what do you think about how this is related to sleep? Okay, well, thank you. We have a lot of talking points. So if you would allow me to just open this up and run with it. I have some notes because there are certain things that I want to make sure that I bring into this conversation. And even if it seems that we're branching off, these are all going to come back together into one big picture. And so I just want to kind of acknowledge that in your realm, you probably discuss a lot about just brainwave states, gamma, beta, alpha, theta, delta. And I want to just acknowledge that those are there and we can bring them in as we need to. But I want to introduce a very different way of saying it and seeing it. So I want to tell you that we will resource um, a TED Talk on YouTube as a foundation for learning. It's called 
My Stroke of Insight by Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, who is a brain scientist who suffered an entire stroke hemorrhage of the left hemisphere of the brain and lived to tell about it. So this is such a fantastic talk that lays a foundation for my talking points, which are moving toward the Bhagavad Gita, the subject of yoga, in which case, once you've received that foundational conversation with Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor about my stroke of insight, I'm now going to expand upon that and tell you that the left hemisphere of the brain is what I'm going to call your connection to your humanity. And here's what this means. The left hemisphere associated with humanity is directly a function of egoic constructs, egoic identification of self as separate. And therefore, I am me and you are you and we are separate people and there's empty space in between us. And there's a lot going on there. So the left hemisphere of the brain associated with an aspect of humanity thinks, speaks, receives information and communicates information through, let's say, let's start with the letters of the alphabet. So you combine letter, 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 and it makes a word. And then you read word, 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 and it makes a sentence and sentence, sentence, sentence. It makes a paragraph, 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 paragraph. It makes a page, 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 page. It makes a chapter, 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 chapter. It makes a book. And this is, in fact, a very laborious way of filtering through that left hemisphere of the brain. It also relates time, which is a man-made construct. It is the illusion as a linear function. And here is where the ego presides. And this is going to be a very important part of our conversation. This part of the conversation will permeate every example that I give. The ego keeps track of history, who you think you are, and most especially who you've been told that you are early on. And the ego activates the past and projects it into a future. Okay, so there's already a lot going on there, and we'll bring in more of those talking points. The ego, the left hemisphere, the identification of self as separate with respect to humanity is also discerning, analytical, judgmental, scrutinous. You could even say problem solving. I'm not stating it to be purely negative. It's our ability to survive in form. And I am going to just slip in right there as an aspect of the creator in form. <laughs> so, okay. So, by contrast, let's move to the right hemisphere of the brain. The right hemisphere of the brain is your connection to divinity. What I'm going to call who you are in truth. And I'm going to tell you that spirit has no identity. It expresses through identity and it does not require words. And so, spirit can receive, can convey through feelings, images, colors. Have you heard a picture says a thousand words? Most of that is happening in the right hemisphere. So creative energy is divine energy. There's no linear timeline there, by the way. If there were a measure of time, it would be kind of a vertical stack of ascension, which is an increase in frequency. That might be a conversation for a different time. That's maybe a little too much to go into right now. So... 
we have our connection to our humanity and our connection to our divinity. And I am going to suggest that much of the sleeplessness exists in kind of an imbalance, being a little too much rooted in the left hemisphere, connection to egoic constructs, time is a function of activating the past and projecting it into the future. And by the way, what does that mean? That means a lack of presence. And I want to tell you that virtually everything we're about to talk about is going to be talking about a practice of pure time presence in a field of trust with no judgment. And you can actually already start to understand the peace and the calm nature that resides there. So I also want to just, uh, believe it or not, we haven't really even started yet. (laughs) (laughs) But this is a good foundation of theories, right? That's what we use in psychology, talk about mindfulness. If you worry about past too much, you're, you know, easy to get depressed. If you worry about the future too much, you're easily to get anxious. But uh, modern life, a lot of people cannot stay at the present moment. That is a problem. So I actually am... uh, little later on after we really lay the foundation, going to give some practices and some tools that you can use and the listeners can use. And so let's hold that for later. So I want to really acknowledge the importance of sleep. When you ask someone, how are you? Most often it's used as a greeting. How are you? Fine. How are you? Good. Now let's move on. Right. But when I ask someone, how are you? I'm really actually asking. And I know that people are gaining a sense of that stopping and realizing in a pure time moment that I really care and want the answer. You could just as easily ask. Okay, so I am going to say two things, one of which is relevant in this talk. Instead of how are you you, or how are you feeling? You could just as easily ask to gain a clear insight into one's well-being. How are you sleeping? And by the way, How are you pooping? (laughs) Because both of those are very clear indicators of kind of like the inner realm and the true picture of health as indicated by how you sleep. And of course, you know, digestion is immune system and, and all of the other things. And so the sleep is where the brain cleanse cycle takes place. And it's in, uh, profoundly important to our overall health. So I really want to, yeah, let's do that. I think one other note that I want to make, and this is not really something I'm going to expand upon, except that as a yoga teacher, I pay a lot of attention to the way that people sleep, meaning the position. Because what I can find immediately, I seem to be some kind of a, like, I I look at a person and what I see is what I call their habitual tone in form, kind of like the body that they dwell in and the positions that they live in. And literally, the way that we stand is very much indicative of the way that we sleep. And especially when people say, oh, my neck hurts, I can't look over my right shoulder, or I can't bring my ear to my shoulder. And then all of that is very decipherable in the way of yoga asana teaching. And also then I give kind of a prescription of a position to sleep in. So we'll just put that one aside for a moment. And let's get into the nuts and the bolts and the meat and potatoes of the subject of spirit and sleep. Now, I've already laid down the platform of humanity and divinity as being kind of different hemispheres of the brain. 
And it's a clear example that most people can get behind. And by the way, you said the word chakras. I'm about to write a book called Chakra Diagnostic. Chakras are something that I speak on a lot. So thanks for knowing that because the connection there is that hemispheres of the brain, Ida, Pingala are in balance. And then the Sushumna, the energetic channel of where the chakras reside is open and we can really start to do some of that important work about our states of eternal being, not just human being. Okay. Now there's another important thing I want to draw upon. This is a building on the same foundation, adding to the same platform. I am going to tell you that concentration, the ability to bring your mind to a state of single point of focus, concentration facilitates meditation. And by the way, meditation facilitates transformation. And by the way, transformation facilitates liberation. These are all just steps on the path. So most of what I'm really going to offer as an exercise that people can use has to do with bringing the mind to a single point of focus, and most especially through, remember, the right hemisphere of the brain where the pictures, the visualization, the imagination, which, by the way, is creation, where that resides. Okay, so I'm not going to ask you to kind of chew on a problem all night long. That's probably a profound contributor to the sleeplessness. Okay, so here's the thing. We have the monkey mind. The monkey mind, the incessant chatter, is that the thoughts are thinking you. And the thoughts are thinking you so rapidly that you literally, you can't keep track of them. You can't count your thoughts. Oh, yeah, this is, this is important. We're going to really go into an exercise for this. You can't count your thoughts when you have so many that are seemingly so random and unrelated. It's hard to organize the thoughts. The thoughts are thinking you, and we think that we are the thoughts. And by the way, we are not the thoughts. We are the observer, and the thoughts are not true. So much and most of what goes wrong with our inability to fall asleep is that we're just letting the thoughts run wild. And something unique to humans, by the way, well, so let me bring a couple of things in in this moment. So, and when I say humans, I'd like to be able to just interchangeably call humans divine in form, if we can do that, aspects of the creator in form through identity, through form, and through relation. So let's just understand that we are these spirits, with something we've chosen to learn through inform. Okay, so two things that make us unique. The first is this. And by the way, this is a subject, it's a, it's a completely separate conversation about how we lose our authenticity. That is that our feelings are our emotional guidance system. Our feelings are telling us the truth. Now, this is this conversation is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So let me really keep it zeroed in on this point. Our feelings are telling us the truth. They are our emotional guidance system. They are where intuition resides. The thing about humans is that we are so mired down and burdened and shackled with shoulds that we deny ourselves our own truth and our own feelings. And here's what I mean by that. We feel a certain way and we shun our own feelings. We say, no, no, no. 
I shouldn't feel that way. I should just be grateful. I shouldn't feel that way. I should just be happy. I, it's not okay with me, but I shouldn't say anything because it might create conflict. We deny ourselves the truth of our feelings, which takes us away from our authenticity. But the other part that I'm uh, moving toward that's more relevant to sleep and spirit is that we have a central nervous system that is in response to our very thoughts. And what that means is we can think a thought and the central nervous system reacts to it as if it has already happened. Or in the case of something from the past, as if it's happening now. So understand that someone who has experienced trauma can just think of the moment and have a lot of anxiety or somebody projecting into the future of kind of like what might happen, what could happen, what might go wrong, what might go wrong again is having anxiety about what hasn't happened yet, which is frankly at that moment a figment of the imagination. By the way, neither of which reside in the pure time presence, right? So we have these thoughts. These thoughts are thinking us. The thoughts are not necessarily true. And we're in response to these thoughts through our own central nervous system. And none of that resides in pure time presence. And most of those thoughts aren't even ours and aren't even true. So we're going to get into that. Okay, so far so good, because already we're really kind of talking about a lot. <laughs> yeah, and the thought definitely is something bother a lot of people. Uh, when people cannot fall asleep, first they want to use something, for example, meditation to relax and hopefully that put them into sleep. But the problem is a lot of people complain their mind cannot shut down, right? And I like what you said, the mind, the thoughts may not be true. They may not even be yours. You're about to go into that for sure. And uh, let's see. Yes, there's this other thing I want to bring in now, I guess, is, is a good time to bring it in. And that is that, remember, I just got done saying that, oh, yeah, let's introduce this thought response. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have a thought and or a realization, and then you have a reaction to the thought or a reaction to the realization. And I am going to tell you that there are maybe two different conversations here for us. One of them is, are you having difficulty actually falling asleep at night? And the other is, do you fall asleep fine, but then you wake up at two in the morning and you can't go back to sleep. And those are both important conversations. They're both maybe even to be treated a little differently. Let me tell you why. Because when you wake up at two in the morning and you can't go back to sleep, remember that incessant chatter, the monkey mind? So what happens frequently is you wake up at two in the morning, but then you instantly say to yourself, Oh my God, I'm awake. And then basically you wake up the monkey and let it go wild. You let it. In other words, the monkey mind goes straight to the to-do list. Oh my God, I'm awake. And now you're getting to work in your own mind. You're checking the to-do list. What do you need to do? Um, what isn't done yet? 
and maybe even residing in the gap of what I'm going to call where you are and where you want to be or everything that you're not. And thought is magnetic. And so thought attracts more like thought. And before you know it, it's like the weight of the world on your shoulders. Well, just because you happen to wake up at two in the morning. And by the way, even the idea, the thought that it's two in the morning and now I'm awake, even that is a judgment. I want to tell you that the ancient yogis feel that two, three, four in the morning is the very most auspicious time to be awake. And here's why. This conversation is not the order I wanted to go in, but I think that's perfectly fine. We'll just let it kind of go organically. Because let's say that you've been asleep and now you come into, and we're moving maybe from delta to theta, or even still a deep meditative state. So we'll call it delta to alpha brainwave states. So you're coming into just a light level of awareness, of consciousness. Oh, I realize that I've been asleep and now I'm waking up. That is not necessarily a bad thing. So when we immediately kind of judge it as a bad thing and say, oh my God, now I'm wide awake and now I'm just going to let the monkey chatter. And then we've kind of like missed an opportunity that's there for us when we have come into some awareness. Because it's what I'm going to call having you, you, and you at the table. And that is a unique opportunity. When you've been sound asleep and you come into a moment of just the realization of consciousness. So I realize that I'm, you know, a little bit awake and now is a good time to have a good talk into because I have me, me, and me at the table. That is an opportunity and that is an important moment. And if you really understand what I'm going to call doing the spiritual work, then you're not going to get busy in the realm of a, you know, heavy to-do list with overwhelm in your life and all the problems with all the people and all the whatnots. You're actually going to stay in that state and do the work that's there for you in the moment of having you, you, and you sitting at the same. So... I think that, um, if I may, let's take a step back and go to some practices that people can use to be able to fall asleep. And then we can move into maybe some practices of what you can do if you have, you know, you, you and you at the table to have a good talking to when you've woken up at two in the morning. Maybe if we have enough time, we can even go into some practices of what you can do when it's actually kind of the natural rhythm and the appropriate time to wake up in the morning, you're lying in bed, you're realizing you're awake and the day is about to begin and you can kind of like start the reset on the day in a kind of a higher way. Remember, we're trying to get away from just constantly activating kind of like the emotional charges and patterns and behaviors of the past into the future. We're trying to get to mindfulness and pure time presence and kind of um, just the more mindful states that include less judgment and more true union. I want to offer these as gifts I want to offer these as exercises that you can do when you're lying down at bed at night. You lay your body down, that's what I like to call it, and you close your eyes. And you can start to realize and understand why now. These are all just practices in bringing your mind to a single point of focus. Because remember, concentration facilitates meditation. And those deeper meditative states are the alpha and the theta states. And that facilitates the transformation of your life, which feels like liberation. Okay, so when you lay your body down at night, I think the first thing I want you to do 
is zero in on your breath as your point of focus. Now, I want you to imagine the shape of a rectangle. And when you're lying down, and by the way, breathing, what I'm going to call in through the nose, out through the nose, but through the throat, it's a natural belly breath. It's ujjayi breathing. It's diaphragmatic breathing. It's not a sniffing into the sinuses. Let me see if I can kind of make a breathing sound that you might be able to hear and discern so that you can tell that breathing through the nose doesn't mean sniffing into the sinuses. So of course, as a yoga instructor and a breathwork facilitator, I always hear people say, no, 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 I can't breathe through my nose. I'm, I'm stuffy. <laughs> I'm saying, no, 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 that's not it. I don't want you to sniff into the sinuses. I want you to do something like this. So let me see if you can hear this. Are you able to hear that? Very, very tiny sound, not very clear. I hear a little bit. You add a little more voice to the breath. Okay, so more on that later. It's a breath through the belly, through the throat, and it's an ujjayi breath. And the reason that that matters is because that's going to take you into your parasympathetic, rest and digest, all is calm and well-breathing state. It's not the sympathetic uh, fight or flight. It's not a charged breath. It's a calming breath. Okay, so you're lying down in bed, and the first thing I want you to do is not, I'm going to call it not try to breathe, I want you just to notice your breath and start to try to measure through counting what is that natural rhythm that's already there for you. And let's say that you're noticing when you first lay your body down that the inhale, oh yeah, by the way, the inhale is about, let's say, four seconds and the exhale is about, let's say, two seconds. Let's say you have a lot of overwhelm, uh, overstimulation in your life, and your breathing reflects it. So your first job is only to even out the inhale and the exhale. And so you're going to breathe that into four second or four count inhale. Hold, hold, four count exhale. Hold, hold, Four count, inhale, fill it up from the bottom to the top, hold, hold, four count, exhale. Now, once you're really seated and connected to the evenness of the inhale and the exhale, now you're going to start to try to elongate the breath. So inhale for four seconds and exhale for four seconds will become inhale for six and exhale for six. That will become inhale for eight, exhale for eight. That will become inhale for 12, say, exhale for 12. So you're elongating this as much as you can keep it even. It's just a hold, hold at the top and a hold, hold at the bottom. So you can see that we're elongating kind of like a vertical rectangle. And by the way, let's start to add some visualization. So let's say that you begin this breath at the pelvic floor. And as you count the inhale, you imagine and visualize that you're drawing the air up the left side of the spine, all the way up to the top, loop at the throat, hold, hold, and exhale down the right side of the spine. Squeeze empty, loop at the bottom, and inhale up the left and exhale down the right. Now, what I want to tell you is, first of all, by now you're probably already asleep. So first and foremost, there's that. But second of all, when you're really, really good, you can inhale as long as 30 seconds. 
you, all you do is you close the valve in the throat. You start to understand, you close the valve, you draw the air, it's a belly breath. So you visualize that it's coming from the pelvic floor. And eventually you're inhaling for a count of 30 and exhaling for a count of 30. And what that means is one breath per minute. And do you know who breathes in the animal kingdom one breath per minute? No idea. Wow. The desert tortoise. And do you know how long the desert tortoise uh, lives? On the average? Possibly really long. 130 years. Wow. <laughs> so not only are you bringing yourself into that state of concentration, it happens to be on the breath. So everything is there for you. Um, mastery of central nervous system, a lot of oxygenating the tissues, a lot of concentrating the mind into a state of meditation, and a lot of relaxation. So that's the first one I want to leave there for you. I do want to offer some more. So unless there's anything you want to speak into, let's move to the next one. Yeah, I just want to comment on this one very briefly. I know some research that if we slow down our breath to four to six times per minute, that can help us relax already. But I never know we can challenge to one breath per minute. And that sounds very interesting and challenging but sounds also very helpful it's very helpful and it's very accessible look at you're lying there and if you're having a hard time falling asleep you got to spend your time doing something <laughs> so right, right. concentrating on the breath can only be a purely good thing right now, now uh thank you for that definitely and the heart resonance would be in for five out for five and by the way when you learn it lying down you can use it throughout the daily life and so you're actually kind of like um, creating a, a tool or a skill set, more mindful daytime practice. And by the way, we are going to get into those daytime practices, hopefully. If not, as I said, we'll continue the conversation. So, okay. So another one I'd like to offer is what I'm going to call the colors of the rainbow. And you might have heard this. And that is, of course, the colors of the rainbow and in order, being red, orange, yellow, Green, blue, indigo, violet. Okay, and by the way, so in most teachings, those colors are also ascribed to chakra color energy as well. So I am going to tell you that while you're doing this, you're also kind of energetically working in the chakras as well, whether you know it or not, by the way. Okay, so Here's the thing. Remember when I said to you that visualization and imagination primarily exist in the right hemisphere of the brain, which is more associated with your connection to divinity. And that's where the pictures and the images reside. So when you lie your body down at night, you can do this every night. Think first of red. Your eyes are closed. Presumably the room is dark. And try to visualize like a solid sheath of color, pure color, the color red only red, completely red, all pure red. And you can visualize anything you can think of that can help bring the image of red into your mind. So maybe you visualize an apple, red apple, or maybe red Ferrari, <laughs> or maybe red rose. Any image that can help you draw upon red and you are absolutely positively going to stay only with red until you see red. And then 
orange, same thing. And you're going to stay with orange, concentrating on nothing but orange, drawing in any images of anything that is orange that can help you and then yellow. I am going to tell you that most people will not be able to make it through the colors of the rainbow before they fall asleep. So I'm going to say that most people are going to be sound asleep by yellow or green. And they're going to wake up in the morning and go, oh God, I didn't, <laughs> you know, or at two in the morning, whatever it is, they're going to wake up going, oh, didn't make it through the rainbow. I'm going to tell you that's a good thing. Because you brought your mind into the single point of focus where the imagination and the ability to visualize preside. So that is a really powerful tool. Now, there's another one that I want to bring in, and this is going to get into a much, much bigger conversation. And so I'm super excited about this. Literally. Remember when I said to you that the function of the ego is to activate the past into the future, and it bypasses the present. And linear, uh, time is linear in this construct. And just as the way that we read from left to right, we imagine that time is moving from left to right as well. Now, the simplest of practices is to reverse that. So the simpler of the practices that I'm going to give now is counting actually backwards from, let's say, for example, from 100 down to zero. And now here's the point. If you make a mistake and you realize that you made a mistake, that's a little bit the catch because some people make a mistake and don't realize it. So I would stop them then. So if you say, oh, wait, what? where was I? I lost my place. Oh, you have to start over. <laughs> <laughs> and I am going to tell you that this is like, brain food. It's a brilliant practice. And I am going to tell you that the mind is tricky. It's really good. And so you can kind of get from 100 down to zero pretty quickly. And then maybe you move to 500 down to zero. But I am going to tell you that you'll be asleep before you get there. So this is a perfect segue because, oh, I, I guess one more simple thing is mantra. So most people think of mantra as they've heard it called chanting, and it could be any mantra. It could be Om, it could be Om Namah Shivaya, it could be any mantra, but it's a vibrational bringing you to center, centering of the mind, single point of focus that happens to have a vibratory effect that's beneficial on every level of your being. <laughs> So mantra is another tool. Okay, so let me tell you what I just told you. What I just told you is that when you lay your body down at night, here are four things you can do to help you go to sleep. Number one, elongate the breath. Eventually working your way up to inhale for 30, exhale for 30. Number two, the colors of the rainbow. Number three, counting down. And number four, mantra. Okay, now I'd like to go into some deeper work. Should we pause there? Do you want to speak into that at all? Yes, I want to clarify a little bit. You mentioned at the beginning, um, before this exercise, you mentioned some of those are good for difficulties falling asleep. Some of this may be good for difficulties maintaining sleep. So I just want to clarify, is there any difference when to use each of those or actually does not matter? Whenever you have sleep difficulties, you can use any of these. I or love all of this, this question. It's really insightful. And I guess I'm going to speak uh, from my own experience. And so the answer is any of these can be used for any of these. But I do find that some of these are better specifically 
like these to me, rain, uh, elongate the breath, rainbow, counting down and mantra are easier tools to use just to fall asleep. But when you wake up at two in the morning, sometimes if you're, you know, you suffer from insomnia and you're chronically awake for three or four or five hours, Remember, it's an auspicious moment where you have you, you, and you at the table, and now you can get some work done. Now you ha can have a good talking to when you're in that state. You're not in that state when you're trying to fall asleep. When you're trying to fall asleep, you're kind of like moving from beta to alpha to theta to delta, right? But now you've come up from delta into a meditative state, probably alpha, hopefully theta, and now you can actually kind of do some work in your life. So I do find that those four are better for falling asleep. And when you wake up in the middle of the night, and you are probably going to be awake for two or three hours, now you have this opportunity in this state of accessibility of you, you and you. Why does that matter? Let me tell you something, I have a strong sense of clarity that things like self sabotage in your life, are the indication of inner conflict. And when I say to you that when you wake up at two in the morning, it's an opportunity for you to have a good talking to, it's because there's some incongruence there between your conscious mind, your subconscious mind, and let's call it your super conscious mind or your higher self, your higher power, who you are in truth. So for that reason, I hope that's really clear. I feel like these kind of deeper assignments are more like doing the work to make a lasting change in your life in this opportunity when you have every aspect of your being sitting at the same table, you, you, and you. So I feel like some of those are better for when you wake up in the middle of the night. And in, again, instead of going, Oh, God, I woke up again. And now your mind is you're letting your mind move to the to do list and, you know, and all of these things. So not letting it realizing and recognizing no, wait a minute, now I know better. This is an opportunity. I'm gonna, I have me, me and me at the table. And we're gonna have a good talking to and we're gonna get on the same page so I can change, you know, the manifestations in my life. Yeah, it's important. How about this? I'm going to give one now that could be both. How about that? And then we'll go into the ones that are maybe more suited and specific to once you've woken up. Okay. Let's say, for example, that you want to have kind of the deeper of the assignments while you're trying to fall asleep. So I want you to, you, you, the viewer, the listener, anyone and everyone, the universal you, I want you to imagine that you have laid your body down. Probably you're in a dark room and your eyes are closed. Perfect. And you have all these thoughts in your mind. So many, too many to count. They're random. They're unrelated. They're disorganized. It's overwhelming. And every one of these thoughts, imagine that each and every one of these thoughts in and of themselves are on a little strip of paper. Each thought is written on a little strip of paper and they're all kind of like blowing around in your thought space as if there's a high-powered fan blowing around these thoughts, except that each and every one of them are competing for your attention. Each and every one of them is the one that wants to be chosen, that wants to get the spotlight. But there are too many, and they're all competing. And then I want you to have the realization that some of these thoughts are your own, but most of these thoughts are not even your own. And some of these thoughts are about something that is rooted in history. It has already happened, or, and it's probably unresolved 
therefore, by definition, if it's competing for attention in your headspace, it's probably something from the past that is unresolved. And some of these are projections of the ego. In other words, something that hasn't happened yet, something you're afraid is going to happen, might happen, could happen. So look at all those thoughts. Some are yours, some are not, some are past, some are current, some are future, and they're all competing for your attention. Now, in I just want to say in wisdom teachings, in spirituality, it's commonly kind of known, recognized that every answer to every question you will ever have already exists, and you just have to get quiet enough to receive it. That's how concentration facilitates meditation and meditation facilitates transformation. It's not by trying to solve the problem. It's most often by letting it go and getting really quiet, and then the answer can come. So in all these thoughts that are figuratively on strips of paper that are figuratively blowing around in your headspace, the realization that some are yours, some are not, some are past, some are future, and the realization that every answer to every question you will ever have already exists if you get quiet enough to hear it. So I want you to visualize funneling, gathering, and funneling all of these thoughts all of these strips of paper blowing around in your headspace into, in gathering and down into, let's call it like the ocean of consciousness, a body of water, kind of, you know, for, for the spirit folk, I could call it the Akasha, where everything that has ever happened and ever will happen already exists in one body of wisdom. So just that kind of gathering it, funneling it into the body of wisdom that already exists can be experienced as a tremendous relief because most of those thoughts don't even belong to you. Most of those thoughts aren't even yours. They're somebody else's. They don't even exist. Maybe they did before, but they don't now. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. So just condensing them into a body of consciousness is kind of like a state of surrender of, okay, they're all there. I know they're all there. I don't have to pick one. I don't have to pick one at a time until I've actually um, attended to all of them. I can just know that they're there. And then in this body of wisdom, consciousness, we'll call it like a body of water. I want you to imagine that you have a big, let's call it like a big wooden spoon. And you're now stirring this thought ocean into kind of like a whirlpool, kind of like a conical vortex. So you're imagining that you're stirring all of these thoughts into knowing that creates a center vortex. And now you're going to ask that the right thought, the right answer, one and only one can come up through center. And to the extent that there are more than one required, they will come up in the right order and at the right pace for you to be able to receive and recognize and take action upon it. So it's a beautiful meditation for visualization that can bring extraordinary calm, clarity, and peace into the mind. And by the way, that is something you can draw upon because once you have that clear image of all the thoughts blowing around in the headspace being gathered and funneled into this kind of a body of knowing that you can stir and then they can come up through center one at a time in the right order and at the right pace, then you're almost delighted every night. Like you can't wait to go to bed and kind of get to that because then you can be like, okay, tonight, here's the question I'm going to ask. And I know that the answer will come only the right answer, only one at a time. 
in the right order at the right pace will come up through center. So tonight, here's what I'm going to ask. And so, and then another night, now here's what I'll ask. And knowing that the universe will always give you the answer that's required and maybe overhear someone talking in the grocery store and you'll go, oh my God, that's exactly what I needed to hear. There's the answer. And it's extraordinary because you're, you're now just simply more receptive to it. So that's one that you can use to fall asleep. And that's one that you can use once you've been asleep and you've woken up. But I think that's a good, heavy one for falling asleep. Yeah, to really target the thoughts. Now, uh, I did want to go on. May I ask about our time constraints or... Yes. So um, I think we can give some for the waking up in the middle of the night. And then that's possibly a good amount of time for today. And uh, uh, I would like to cut today's episode into two episodes so people can be able to digest all the information. Fantastic. Okay. So what we've just talked about are primarily some tools you can use when you lay your body down at night to help you fall asleep. And just to recap and tell you what I've told you, you can elongate the breath and we're going for a one minute breath. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) We can use the colors of the rainbow. We can count down from 100 to zero and we can use mantra. And then I've given you this visualization of the thoughts blowing around in the headspace and we start to realize and recognize what belongs to us and what doesn't, what is our own thought and what is not, what is current, what is past, what is future. We gather them all trusting and knowing that all of the answers to all of our questions already exist within us so that we can, uh, if only we can get quiet enough to hear it. So we gather it, we funnel it into the collective knowing, and then we draw upon this coming up through center of the right thought in the right order, in the right pace. Thank you. Beautiful. Now, let's talk about something really valuable and important for once you've laid your body down. And we will say that depending on your sleep nature, this could be used definitely when you wake up at two in the morning. You could use it. It wouldn't be wrong or it wouldn't be harmful to use it to try to fall asleep at night. But let's get some bigger, deeper assignments, some bigger, deeper, you know what, I'm going to start to call it practices, 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 practices. So how about that? How about, remember when I said to you that waking up at two in the morning is not even necessarily a problem. It's your thought response to it. It's your deciding, oh my God, this is a problem. And then you're reacting to what you perceive as a problem. So what we're looking at right now is almost reperceiving, no longer reacting to waking up at two in the morning, coming into some level of consciousness at two in the morning and realizing, okay, I'm in some state of awareness. And so right now is a perfect time for a practice. I have Mimi and me at the table and here's my opportunity to kind of like make some major changes in my life. That's huge. That's an opportunity. Can you see where I'm starting to go with that? We've already talked about counting down from 100 to zero. We've already talked about the function of um, the ego, which is in the left hemisphere, kind of thinking that time is linear and it kind of moves from left to right, from past to future, and it skips the presence. And so there's a a practice I'm going to call unwinding. This is huge. And if you could do this every night, your life would change dramatically and drastically in the very best way, by the way. Okay. The function of the ego in its projection of the past into the future, here's what it looks like to most people. When you lay your body down at night, literally the left hemisphere of the brain where the ego resides, remember 
identification of self as separate. It's who you think you are. The ego recounts the day. The left hemisphere recounts the day from beginning to end. It's a practice that most people experience without even realizing it. So for most people, the common state is you lay your body down at night and you go, okay, now what happened today? Okay, I woke up this morning and, oh, I was running late. And so I missed breakfast and, you know, and then this and then that and then this. And you start to recount the day from beginning to end. And when you remember that something happened, it might have been a conflict. It might have been an uncomfortable moment. It might have been something that you perceived as disappointment or an accident or something that didn't go well. You have the same emotional charge associated with that moment. You have a thought response. And remember that thing about humans, our emotional, or excuse me, our central nervous system is in response to even the thought as if it's happening again. And then the construct of the ego takes that and projects it into the future. It still resides within you. That's the way that we perpetuate our patterns is by keeping everything from the past, pushing into the future with all of its emotional charges. So again, most people lay down and they go, now what happened today? And they relive their day, by the way, in a very subjective way, re-experiencing those emotional charges again and again, which by the way, magnifies them, magnifies the egoic, the aspect of that encounter that we've taken personally cements it, embeds it into the relationships, puts up our defenses, which reinforces the separateness, reinforces the judgment that keeps us separate. So, and then when we make our way all the way through the day from beginning to end, then we fall asleep at night, we wake up in the morning. And the first thing that that left hemisphere does is it says, no, where'd I leave off yesterday? Okay, here's where I was yesterday. So here's where I pick up. Here's where I begin today. That's the left hemisphere. That's the ego. So there's a practice of unwinding, and it is quite literally the opposite. So whether it's when you lay your body down or especially even better, when you've woken up in the middle of the night and you have you, you, and you at the table, I think I've spoken into that with enough clarity that people can follow along. I want you to go backwards as a neutral observer, backwards as merely a witness, maybe a fly in the room, observing the day in reverse as being neutral. So you might remember, okay, right before I went to bed, I brushed my teeth. And maybe as you were looking at yourself in the mirror, there was something that you noticed. So try to recall this and recount this in reverse with as much detail as possible, but purely neutral. So your recalling the day in reverse from a place of neutrality as an observer, as a witness. And even and especially if there was an uncomfortable encounter throughout the day, an uncomfortable interaction, you're just going to see that as two people who had a disagreement. So again, the really important part is that you won't ascribe or associate it with a negative charge or an emotional charge. Now, I'm going to say most people will be unable to stay awake long enough to make it all the way through their day in reverse. It is a practice of presence that has to be cultivated. It requires concentration. But by doing so, it's a spiritual practice. And by doing so, what you're doing is actually erasing, neutralizing the negative emotional charge that the events of the day had on you so that you don't carry them into tomorrow. So it's huge in just supporting the ability to let go of things in your life. 
Now, I'll tell you that the ancient yogis say that this is kind of like a muscle that you fortify. So at first, it's a challenge just to rewind your day. You know, decades ago, um, there used to be tape players that had cassette tapes. Do you, you know, do you remember that? We had cassette tape players and we had these cassette tapes. And so when I was a kid, I would record music off the radio on these cassette tapes. I'd record my favorite songs and then I'd listen to my favorite songs on cassette tapes. And when the tape was full and you wanted to do it again, you would erase the tape. And the way that you would erase the tape, interestingly, is by playing it backwards in reverse. And it literally creates a blank tape that can be reused again from a clean canvas. That is the spiritual practice of unwinding. And so the great yogis and sages say that once you really develop this tool, not only can you remember all the way back to say three years old. And when I say remember, I don't mean remember, I mean erase, rewind, unwind, all emotional charges all the way back to your conscious recollection, which for most people is around the age of three. But you can go back even further to the age from birth to three that most people don't commonly recollect, but it's deeply embedded in the subconscious mind. And then even further to the birth, even further to the womb. And the great yogis and sages say even further to the in-betweens. So the in-between of this life and the one before, and even then opening wide up to any and every incarnation that you've experienced being accessible and available to you through the practice. It's a deep practice. It's a substantial practice and that is available to you in the moments of having you you and you at the table let me understand this sounds like very i like the concept it's very good concept it sounds like really difficult to do so for the reverse part is that just simply by thinking about the last thing happened during the day go back to the earlier earlier event or within each event you start thinking about the result first and then reverse back a little bit what happened right before that, what if it involves, uh, for example, conflict between me and a colleague. Do I just uh, uh, think about the final point, the result, and then move back? And then what did we say right before that? What did we do right before that? Like that okay, way? Okay, so I want to say the answer is yes and no. The answer is both and neither. And here's why. Because... If what you're doing, so in other words, can you go to a specific event and rewind it to release trauma? I'm going to say yes. There, there's the yes to your answer. However, it's a bit of a slippery slope, and here's why. Because what, let, let's say the nature of the question, and most people who heard that question, and they are perceiving and interpreting the question as, I'm going to think about that conflict that happened, and I'm going to think about how it happened, why it happened, what they said, and now you're back in that incessant chatter monkey mind state. You're thinking and trying and thinking and trying. And the practice of unwinding is not thinking and trying through the analytical left hemisphere of problem solving and personalities. And by doing that, you're a little more likely to get re-involved in that emotional exchange, right? So, so right. I want to say this is actually kind of like the opposite of that. There's a bigger 
answer to your question as well that I feel like we can't leave out. And that is that you're talking now about what I'm going to call the spiritual work of unraveling um, the causal field. This is something that I think um, perhaps you and I will uh, revisit in the future in a different conversation about to the extent that we are vibrational beings in a vibrational plane and every single thing that we see on the outside is the indication of what's active within us on the level of thoughts and beliefs. What presents as you inform, what presents as me inform in density, which is just slower vibration, lower vibration, they call it, is actually thought compilation. So this isn't necessarily where I'm going to go, but I want to make reference to it because we should talk about this again, because what you asked is a bigger question. And what you're asking in a way is, how can I... I want you to understand that the in the question that you asked, you zeroed on, on a moment of a conflict, a certain moment under certain circumstances with a certain person, and the monkey mind really wants to chew away at that. But I'm going to tell you that all of this exists in the causal plane with who it is that you think that you are, what it is that you've chosen to learn through, and that typically is overlaid with limiting beliefs and agreements made in fear. And they're playing out in the form of our behaviors, patterns, and relationships. And so even in something that seems as simple as a conflict that you had on a certain day with a certain person, it's at, a, at a far deeper level, that's going to be a pattern in the life and it's going to be decipherable through the causal plane. And that's, that's probably a much bigger conversation. So you are these thoughts and beliefs that present as density and form. And then you have another body, another layer of being called the astral plane. And those are the feelings and emotions. And your feelings and emotions are always in response to the thoughts and beliefs. And then you have the body, the form, which is actually the reconciliation of the two. And so I believe, um, and it is widely believed, that any indication of disease, injury, illness, diagnosis, even habitual tone, and by the way, also accidents, can be a decipherable message from the body as to where your spiritual work lies. And the reason that's really important to bring in is because in those moments when you wake up at two in the morning and you cannot go back to sleep, that right there is an opportunity for you to have a good talking to because you have you, you, and you at the table and that is an auspicious moment. That is when you can really get to some of this work. Now, so far, so good. Are you really with me on the importance of this and why it matters that you don't always perceive it as a bad thing when you wake up at two in the morning and that there's a different way of perceiving that can make a lasting difference in your life, definitely for the better. <laughs> so, so where shall we go with this? Because do we have a chance for maybe one more assignment of being awake in the middle of the night with you, you and you at the table? Or how shall we do this? Yeah, we can do one more in the today and uh, we carry another conversation in the no, future. I'm going to make this last one the simpler of the ones on my list, uh, just for the sake of brevity, but it's profound. Simpler, but significant. I'm going to tell you, and this might be a more important, bigger conversation, uh, different subject matter, that most of spirituality is accountability, understanding that you are the creator of the world you see. And that's, that's a bigger picture. That's a bigger conversation. But let's just say for a moment that we accept the fact that we are deliberate creators, sometimes by default. Sometimes we, most of the time, we create by default, and then we react to what we see. By the way, as if it's happening to us rather than for us. 
my belief is that our lives are our curated lesson. My life is a lesson that is custom made exactly for me and only me. And yours, the lesson, the curriculum of your life is curated for you and only you. And that's why I can't fully learn from your life. That was for you. And you can't fully learn from my life. That's been for me. And when you understand that your life is your lesson and you start to become accountable for even and especially the things that you think you would not have chosen, then you feel terrifically empowered to actually be deliberate about the creation now that you know you are the creator of the world you see. Okay, so if we could just start with that, <laughs> then I want to tell you that there's a beautiful practice whoops, of accountability. I'm going to call it saying yes to your life. And here's what it is. And I'm sharing with you actually exactly what I do personally. These are all personal. These are not something that, you know, I picked up in a text. These are practices in my life. that I. So I, in this way, I'm sharing myself with you in the form of these practices that are opportunities that tend to happen around two in the morning more commonly. <laughs> okay. So when I'm lying in bed, I tend to do this one um, when I'm waking up in the morning. This is when I do this one the most. So whether or not, took me a long time to fall asleep, whether or not I woke up at two in the morning and now it's the appropriate time to wake up and I'm coming into some level of presence. I'm going to start every day by saying yes to my life. And here's what I mean by that. I literally start with my body, almost like a yoga nidra will draw your awareness, your pure awareness to say, for example, my right hand thumb. And now all of your awareness and all of your concentration is solely on your right hand thumb. In this case, I'm going to move through my body and whatever parts I break it into, and I'm simply going to say yes to it. I'm no longer going to self-reject, self-loathe, self-criticize, self-condemn. I'm going to say yes to it, and I'm going to thank it. Yes to my feet. I'm just thinking about my feet, and I'm saying yes to my feet, and I'm thanking my feet, and I'm realizing how much my feet do for me, how many miles they've walked and ground they've covered, how many surfaces they've experienced, and so on. I'm just going to say yes to my feet and thank you to my feet. And then my lower legs, calves, knees, thighs, hips, pelvis. It's a practice. You're not going to move that quickly. You're going to bring full awareness to whatever part. I tend to start from the ground up always in yoga, asana, in visualization. I'm just going to break it into pieces and I'm going to concentrate deeply on each part. I'm going to say yes to it. I'm going to thank it. And when I've gotten all the way through, even to my face and my head and my hair and all the way through the form from the bottom to the top, now I'm just going to say yes to the bed that I'm lying in. Yes to this bed that I'm lying in in this moment. Yes to this bed. And if you do have a partner, yes to this partner that's next to me. Yes to me. Yes to my parts. Yes to this bed. Yes to this partner that I'm lying next to. Yes to this room that this bed is in, that I'm lying in. Yes. And then start to expand the field of vision. Start to expand the meditation, if you will the practice of presence, accountability, and acceptance, non-resistance, which by the way is the highest frequency, love and gratitude, start to expand that sphere beyond the room into the building and into each room where each activity takes place. Yes to the activities that take place uh, in the rooms 
in the expanded vision of the building. And then even yes to the property and yes to community and just kind of expanding the auric field into a state of non-resistance, a state of gratitude and appreciation by saying yes to it. And understanding that as you navigate throughout the day, you are always in your choosing. So those again are deeper conversations. And um, this practice will definitely hit the reset in a way that moves you forward from a higher purview of love and gratitude and empowerment and knowing that you're always in your choosing and you're accountable for your choices. So you pay more attention to them. So I think that with that, I'm going to leave you with some of the advice that I've, uh, best advice that I've ever received. And that is, since I've said to you now that you are in your choosing and you are always in your choosing and you're accountable for your choices. And now you're really empowered because you know that you get to choose what matters is not what happens, but how you respond to what happens in every moment. And it will be what you make it. And you do get to choose and you are always in your choosing. Now, I will leave you with the words that in every choice that you make in your life, and now we're talking about your awakened state, which by the way, will fill you with, with a sense of peace and pure time presence that will give you more calm relaxation and ability to sleep better in every choice that you make. Make the choice, no matter how big or how small, like what you eat for breakfast or who you choose to love and spend your life with. Make every single choice as if you love yourself deeply and completely. And then you'll not be in a state of resistance to your own circumstances. You've made your choices from self-love. Self-love is not selfish. It's selfless, selfful, we could call it. So when you're living a more authentic life, accountable for your choices and making those choices in self-love and pure time presence, then you have less of those strips of paper blowing around in the headspace thought space. <laughs> so with that in mind, I would say that my final blessing and wish for you, for me, for all of the viewers, listeners, for all of humanity then, is that you sleep like a baby. <laughs> I want to thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom with us. I like many of the concepts and to really think about we always have a choice and what we think that is horrible moment in during sleep may not actually be a bad moment. A lot of time about sleep is really about misperception, right? How we view sleep how we view our relationship with sleep, how we view our own relationship with ourselves. If we can shift our mindset around all this, a lot of time we may be able to be more relaxed, less stressed, and, and sleep better. And look forward to the moments when you're not yet asleep or the moments when you've come up into a conscious state of awareness from a state of sleep, to look forward to those as an opportunity to do some work in the inner realm that might be more important than the day-to-day -day activities. Yeah, that's awesome. So Kim, if our listeners and uh, um, audience want to find out more about your work, where can they find you? Thank you for the question. And remember in the beginning, I talked about this Venn diagram of yoga and spirit. And I talked about our event center for the healing arts and spiritual sciences called the Yucca Shala. And so on either side of that Venn diagram, there are events for both yoga and spirit that all exist on 
kimtangyoga.com. So all roads lead to the website, kimtangyoga.com. There is also a yakushala.com. And on the kimtangyoga.com, you can find a video platform. You can find private sessions, one-on-ones with me. You can find three-day in-person events related to yoga and spirit here at the Yakashala. I am a part of a global certification, a collaborative global certification program for yoga called yogasportworld.com. I do intuitive spiritual counsel. It's on the subject of the things we've talked about today, kind of unraveling causal, astral behaviors, patterns, chakras, Reiki, uh, quantum healing, hypnosis therapy, and alchemy meditation, alchemy of breath. It's all on kimtangyoga.com. Thank you. What a pleasure to know you. I am delighted by today's conversation. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much. I will put all your information down below in the description box. Thank you very much for listening. The whole conversation and the video will be put on our YouTube channel, Deep Into Sleep Podcast. If you like today's conversation, please feel free to leave a message. Let me know. Also, if you know someone who suffers from insomnia, please check out my insomnia treatment course. The website is mindbodygarden.com insomnia. If you need some guidance to do some gentle yoga stretch before sleep, one of our therapists, also a yoga teacher, Jing, created a YouTube video on our Deep Into Sleep podcast YouTube channel to guide you through three gestures you can do before bedtime. I really hope you find something that is helpful to you to get a good night of sleep. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Yishan. I will see you next time. Bye. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.